things. You think of things that I got to do, like what am I going to do? What I'm going to cancel this subscription. I'm going to do this. I'm going to agree to memorize this. I'm going to have this much of a quiet time. I'm going to pray. We, we think of things in a practical manner when we're thinking about stuff like growing. How do we resist the schemes of the devil? But before you get into the practicals, we must first remember the main strategy that the Bible's already laid out. God has already given his people a strategy in how to do this. And this strategy is not a suggestion to consider. It's a command. The strategy is common. It's so common that many of us forget that, like, this is actually what's supposed to keep happening. Not to become a Christian, but to sustain your faith. This will not be new. In fact, the phrase, believe until you leave, is inspired by this strategy. So let's first start with the strategy, which is a command of God, and then we'll get into what are the practicals, what's a practical way that we process it. You all are familiar with verses like Romans 12 too? It says this, and I quote, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You all are familiar with Romans 8, 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You all are familiar with Ephesians 4.23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You all are familiar with Philippians 2.5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You are familiar with Colossians 3.2. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. You are familiar with 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You all are familiar with 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You all are familiar with 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. When it comes to resisting the schemes of the devil, thought is more important than action. It's more important than action. Because the battlefield is here. You have to remember your renewing. It's not I renew to be a Christian. It's I'm constantly renewing my mind because I'm a Christian. Victory is winning in your thinking. Thinking is about believing. And believing must happen until we are leaving. So what must we believe until we leave? What are the thoughts that we need to have in order for us 
to resist the schemes of the devil. Let me tell you why thought is more important than action. Because every strategy that you come up with, all right, I'm going to cancel my, I watch too much television, I stream too much, I'm going to take a break from social media, I'm going to cancel this. So all those decisions are all first thoughts that you think about that you have to have confidence that you're going to do. You have any strategy you come up with for anything, you have to have thought about it and have confidence that you can execute it. Otherwise, and many of us actually don't, which is why we start, I do it, start and not finish. We start stuff and stop because it just becomes, oh, we're going to do this. But we haven't really thought about the strategy to accomplish it. Every strategy must come. We fail at resisting the schemes of the devil, not because we don't have a desire, we don't want to, it's because we don't have confidence that we can resist because we don't give a lot of thought to the strategy. We just want to do something. We want results immediately. Christianity and growth is not microwavable. It's not microwavable. It's a slow cook. Anybody who knows if you if you cook you if you cook some meat real slow, over time, that thing will change your life when you taste it. I'm evidence of that. Christianity and growth in Christianity is not microwavable. But this is what we want, right? We want to just be, and it's not because we want to be godly. We just don't want to struggle with certain things anymore. We're tired of the process. But if we're not confident in our thoughts, if we're not renewing our minds, if we're not sober-minded, the enemy is already won. Because we'll do a bunch of stuff and then won't finish it. We'll be committed for a couple days, a couple weeks, and burn out. The first strategy is the mind, to believe. So believe what is the question today? What do we need to believe? When I first came back from sabbatical, on my first Sunday, I taught from a passage that we're going to go back to. That passage is 2 Timothy 3, and I read three verses, verses 10 through 13. I'm going to read them today and pluck one of those verses, which should not be new to anybody who was here then or been a part of this church. Here's 2 Timothy 3, beginning at verse 10 through verse 13. Here's what he says. Talking to Paul, talking to a young pastor that he discipled named Timothy. And he says this. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Today we return to these verses as the main strategy, the thing that we must believe first before we get into the practicals of what you should cancel and what you should or shouldn't do. 
First, it's like, what are you thinking about? How are you processing? What, what truth that needs to help us be sober-minded in order to put eternity first and to victoriously resist the schemes of the devil? It's verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Keep in mind the language of this passage. It's a translation of a dead language, Cuneic Greek, but it says the same thing essentially in the original language as this. This is not a possibility for anyone who desires to be godly. God is giving you a guarantee that if you have the courage to desire and to pursue a godly life, you will be persecuted. You will, and there's no such thing as persecution without suffering. If you desire and if you have the courage to live a godly life, I'm not talking about you have the courage to come to church occasionally. I'm not talking about you have the courage to even join a church. I'm talking about if you have the courage to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. It is a guarantee from God. And in this verse, he kind of gives us the purpose of persecution. In the Greek language, the original Greek language this, this passage was written in, the word persecute is diokos. And it means hasten, run, press on, persecute. Don't you, I hate when they do that. I, still, it's a, I hate when I look up a word and it has the word in the definition. Like, go ahead, man. It means to drive away, drive out, run after, pursue, cause to run, set in quick motion, to run after, to chase after. So here's what the Bible is saying. All who desire to live a godly life will be driven away, will be run after, will be caused to flee, will be put to flight, will be followed after. This is God's guarantee. And this is why many people walk away from the faith or they walk away from churches that teach like this and go to churches that just celebrate all the good stuff. And then you get perplexed and confused when some bad stuff happens because you don't know what's going on. And they'll tell you, well, you don't have enough faith. I tell you, the Bible says you're in the right place. You suffering because God, you desire to be godly and it's going to come with opposition. Persecution or suffering, they separate the faithful from the faithless. This is where the rubber meets the road. I've seen a lot of people become Christians. I know a lot of people who became pastors coming out of seminary. What you trying to do? I can't wait to teach. When you go to seminary, they just pump your head up with wanting to teach. as if Because this is the glamorous part. You come on Sunday, you study, you teach. If you got the gift of humor, you can make people laugh. People think you that do because they always see you teaching. They don't think you got no problems going on on your own. They don't realize that every time you teach, you being taught. They don't realize that the enemy is after you and your family specifically because if he can trip you up, he can trip up all the people that listen to you. Everybody wants to teach. Nobody wants to suffer. It's important that you see persecution and suffering are synonymous. 
And this is why it separates the faithless from the faithful, because if you really believe in the Lord, you're going to believe no matter what happens in this life. You really believe in the Lord, you're going to be like Job. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. If you really believe in the Lord, even though you are hurting, lost somebody, got a, a disease that's not going away. No matter what happens in this life, you like Peter. Lord, where are we going to go? You have the keys to eternal life. If you really believe in the Lord, then true faith is not circumstantial. It's eternal. And persecution shows whose faith is in a certain set of circumstances and whose faith is in whatever the circumstances are I'm staying with. That does not happen unless you are persecuted, unless you suffer. You don't know if you love your spouse unless you get into some conflict and work through it. You don't know that. Everybody, that's why they call it the honeymoon period. You be sharing each other's drinks, you know. You get married a few years, y'all be arguing over, why you eat my fries? You could have just bought some yourself. All that goes out the window. You ain't having that persecution after you get, you ain't eating my fries. We can circle back and you can get your own. Persecution separates the faithful from the faithless because you either love God for who he is or love God for what he gives. And if it's for what he gives, then when he gives you persecution, now you don't understand that doesn't make sense. Where's the blessing? Why, you know, I've been walking with the Lord and it's like, why is this happening? And all of a sudden now God is not doing what he's supposed to do. And God is saying, nah, you're not learning what you're supposed to learn. Persecution is separates the faithful from the faithless because for some, persecution is too high of a cost. It's too high. They walk away or stay perpetually immature. Some people don't want to go to hell, so they won't walk away, but they ain't growing either. They good with it. Because persecution, suffering, and the way we think about it, most of us, it's not biblical. We feel like it's something we have to tolerate. And God says, nah, this is a way that you are becoming more like me. This is a scheme of the devil that he's used against us for the longest time. Because when we hear verses like, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, we're not encouraged by that. Nobody's encouraged by that. When's the last time you prayed that you would suffer and be persecuted? Anyone? Anyone? Good. If you lift your hand up, nobody in this church will ever ask you to pray for them again. <laughs> so keep your hand down if you do. If you do that, don't come to me with Pastor Kurt. I got a word from the Lord. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I reject that word. We're going to get real charismatic in this church. I rebuke you in the name of, I don't want that word. Nobody, nobody is praying for persecution. In fact, we're praying for less of it. Because we think the less we suffer, the more mature we'll be. And God says, the more you suffer, the more like me you'll be. But that's, that's not the, the scheme of the devil is like, man, you suffering. And this is not just for us. Paul went through this. Second Corinthians 11, they were telling, they were saying about Paul to the church that he planted, that he's not really an apostle because he suffers a lot. And Paul was like, huh? Let me walk you through 
2 Corinthians 11 and 12, but let me walk you through all of the ways that I've suffered, and I'm still here. It's people that don't get desires that they want, and they walk away from the Lord. Wow, because you didn't get this, the Lord isn't good. But do you know that the very breath that you breathe is sustained by the same Lord that you can't even reject Jesus Christ unless he sustains your ability to breathe to do it. But that's a different message. It's of the utmost importance to believe that all who live a godly life will be persecuted. Because we tend to see persecution as something God is supposed to protect us from. But God sees it as something that I'm training you by. We tend to see persecution as a sign of God being angry at us. And God sees it as a sign that we're becoming more like him. How can you imitate Jesus and not suffer and not be persecuted? People be offended because they've been betrayed. Do you know Jesus fed thousands of people, healed hundreds more, trained 12 guys, which one of them turned against them. And then when they came for him, all of them left except two, Peter and John. And then Peter, who said, Lord, I will, I'm ready to die with you, said to a little girl, what are you talking about? I don't know this dude. And left. Out of all the people that supposedly loved the Lord, it was his mother, two up, Mary Magdalene, another woman, and the apostle John, that was it. You think you, you've been betrayed? This man yelled out on the cross to the father, why have you forsaken me? But people will walk away for that. Persecution and suffering is a sign that that God is helping us be like him because without it. You ever watch some kind of award show and an athlete or maybe the Oscars and an actor or, or the mu you know, American Music Awards and a singer will go up. You've never heard them once profess faith in Christ. As a matter of fact, their last music video put that in suspect. And they will get up, and the first thing they'll say is, I want to thank the man upstairs. I want to thank God. And people will give a little golf clap because the people know that you don't really believe in God. So we're going to applaud it because it's the right thing to do. But you get a Christian to go up there and testify to the grace of God, they'll cut the commercial. Everybody believes in God when they get what they want. But only the true people believe in God when he takes away what you desire. There are three ways that we are persecuted. Three main ways the Bible lays it out. Three ways. And the first is the most assumed. Whenever we hear the word persecution, this one is the most assumed for what we think of when we think of persecution. But the one that's the most common will shock you. But here's the one that's the most assumed. Let's go to Matthew 5, beginning of verse 11, verse 11 and 12. Here's what we usually think about when we think persecution. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
This is what we typically think, external to persecution, the world. Acts 14, 21 through 22. Paul says, when they had preached the gospel, Luke writes this, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. And listen to this, encouraging them to continue in the faith, all right? So keep in mind, this is not a new phenomenon. This is the beginning of the church. They're coming back to encourage people because it's human nature to want to walk away from the faith, especially when it becomes difficult, especially when the Lord does not do things that you want him to do and you know he could do, but he doesn't do when you take it personal. And it says this, verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So here's their encouragement to these new believers, this new religion, Christianity. Here's what they're saying. Continue in the faith, right? Because through many tribulations, suffering. Tribula there's no tribulations that are like, oh, this is a good time. <laughs> through tribulations, through persecutions, through suffering, we must go through these to enter the kingdom of God. That was their counsel to new to the beginning of Christianity. Most of us, when we think about persecution, we think about it this way. Hatred from others for believing in Jesus. And this is, this, there's truth to this. It may not be in your life in particular, because many of us don't live in a lot of that opposition. Maybe you have it in your family or something like that. But let's, let's just be clear. For many of us, the opposition that we'll get from other people is they, they just think we're weird and don't like us. Or they'll just disagree. We're not really like, we, our lives aren't in no danger for real. At least right here. There are other places where this is their life. But this is, this is why we were fired up when we did the uh, Supernatural storyline. And we talked about taking possession of the land. We were fired up. We were ready to go because it gave us a new purpose. We understood like, oh, we are in the new, in the new like the Israelites of the old, going into enemy territory, taking possession of the land. But this time, the land is not geographical. It's personal. It's people. We were fired up. The last two sermons from Mike in August, when I was on sabbatical, were a fantastic reminder to take possession of the land. He talked about wearing the shoes with the readiness of the gospel. He said that evangelism is spiritual warfare. I mean, look, Paul equates godliness with persecution and persecution with evangelism. So an aspect of living a godly life, which is to imitate Jesus, is to tell other people to believe in Jesus. And when you do that, people will persecute you. And herein lies the problem. Herein lies the problem for many of us. Here's what makes it tough. Because external persecution for many of us goes directly against us wanting to be liked and accepted. I don't want to not be accepted at my job. I don't want to not be liked in my community. I don't want to have my friends make fun of me. I remember when I really started to live for the Lord, I had come out of the hood. I was, in the, I was in there, drugs, guns, murder, all that with these people. Bell Haven, second gym. And I remembered I got locked up for a broad day shootout. I thought 
thought I was going to do 40 plus years. The judge had mercy on me. I did less than a few months. And I knew that that was that judge, not that judge. And I said, man, I got I to gotta, I gotta see something different, man. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of pretending like we're all excited. This is like the life to live. This is what it means to be black, to be gangster. I'm tired of it. When I got locked up, I didn't meet anybody. I met this dude. This dude everybody was scared of was my man because he just, we just gang recognized gang. He just was, we used to play chess and talk. He was a federal. He was getting transferred to feds for multiple murders. And he wasn't in there proud like, yeah, this lit. Everybody in there, even if they committed the crime, was all trying to get out, trying to get their time back. And I was like, wow, I know all the, all the people who celebrate this stuff be the rappers who ain't in here. But those of us who are in here, we like, man, we don't want to be in here. Yeah, my homie in the feds, but he want to be with you on stage. And when I came out, I was like, I can't, I, I need something real. I'm tired of this, this street life. I, I, I knew what it was from the beginning, but I was still participating in it. So a buddy of mine I went to high school with, he gave his life to the Lord in grad school and came back and said, man, we always knew we got to believe this. And so I was like, you know what, I'm in. Started, I was like, I'm giving my life to the Lord. Started reading, praying. I was changing. Went back to the hood. And one day, this particular day, it was a lot of dudes there. We were what we called deep. Went into the apartment like we always went in. Everybody smoking weed. Got the Hennessy. Everything is out. They pass it to me. They don't even think of nothing about it. They knew I was like trying to change. They don't care. They was just like. When I was like, nah, I'm good. And I thought they would keep going. But then my man Ho was like, they used to call me Intrigued. That was my rap name. They was like, Intrigued, what you doing? You ain't going to hit that? I was like, nah, bro, I'm good. They was like, ho, 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 Intrigued. You not going to hit this? In front of everybody. And I was like, nah. And they was like, why you ain't going to hit this? And they started chuckling. And I was like, because I believe in the Lord and everybody busted out laughing. They busted out laughing. All of them. They couldn't believe it. And then my man turned on the beat and started freestyling. He wanted to battle me. A rap battle. And I just freestyled about how I'm free in Christ. And they was just laughing. And when I left, I cried. I cried. And I realized, wow. These same dudes that we used to shoot guns with, sell crack with, make money with, now they laughing at me because I want to believe in Jesus. But I stood my ground. A couple years later, some of them was hitting me like, hey, young, hey, I'm trying, how you follow the Lord, young, can I come with you to church? I married my man, Big B. Did his wedding. Street dudes. Them all, same dudes was there. Hey, you trying to strip club with us? I was like, for the bachelor party. <laughs> but when you stand for righteousness, even the unrighteous will come to your defense. A couple of them dudes was like, hey, man, go ahead. He ain't go. Man, he a reverend now, man. He ain't going to no strip club, man. You, you. I, had, I, need, I was just like, man, come on. Man, what? But I mean, it's just wild. I mean, people just wild. But it's a wild world. I mean, Marcus Jordan, Michael Jordan's son, is marrying Scottie Pippen his ex-wife, and he wants Michael Jordan to be the best man at the wedding. That's a whole different sermon. Yeah. 
External persecution is going to happen, and it hurts. It hurts. I had to leave a lot of those relationships. When I got married, the majority of them dudes were not invited. And it wasn't personal. It was biblical. We just on different pages, man, and I can't have you coming in here cutting up being wild. I'm in a different place now. People want to be liked and accepted. And to be godly, people were not going to like them. The other reason why persecution externally is a challenge for us is because it's proof that we're doing something wrong. Do you know that today Christianity is pretty much reduced to this? Making people, wanting people to love us, and if people do not love us, then we need to change what we believe to be accepted by them. That's fundamentally what Christianity is for many people today. The ultimate goal is to get people to, to accept us and love us. And if somehow people don't like what we believe or something, then we need to change that because we need to get people to love us or it's a bad witness. But when you change what you believe, that's a worse witness. Because the ultimate goal is not to get people to accept us, but to get them to accept God. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. External persecution will come if you want to live a godly life. Because at some point, even if you are quiet or introvert, you don't talk much. At some point, you're going to have to say something. Somebody's going to say something and think you agree with them and be like, hey, what do you think? And you're like, oh, here we go. And keep in mind, Jesus was not persecuted because he was a good person. Jesus was persecuted because he told people, you're not good enough. External persecution is something we shouldn't look at to avoid, but we should see it as something to accept. I don't pray for it, I don't desire it, but it comes with the territory. It comes with a desire to be godly. And I want that desire more than I want people to be like, hey, he's a cool dude. Because that doesn't last long. It's not eternal. The disciples knew this in Acts 5.40. Here's what happened to them. And they said that when they called, this is verse 40 and 41, and when they called, when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, listen to this, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Man, do you know how different this country would be if believers counted it worthy to suffer some dishonor for the name of Jesus Christ. But man, they want you to change what you believe instead of believe that people can be changed. 1 Peter 4, 12, 14, Peter's encouraging a bunch of Christians who are on the run for their lives. They call it the dispersion. They're all over the place. And he's writing this letter in and, and uh, and, and chapter 4, 12 through 14, he says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, right? As though something strange were happening to you, right? So he's saying, look, don't be surprised when you believe and all of a sudden people just don't like you. Stuff just happens. He said, he said something strange were happening to you, verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. 
because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. I'm not saying that we should try to get persecuted. I'm saying that we must believe until we leave that if we're going to live godly, persecution is coming with the territory. And you shouldn't avoid it. you got to accept it. Jesus didn't die because he did good works. He died because he told people their works weren't good enough. Eternal persecution is the most assumed. When you think of persecution, that's the most assumed. But that's not the most common. The most common persecution is the second one. The first is the world. Here's the second one. Mark 8. Beginning of verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Here's a second form of persecution, and the one that's the most surprising, and the one that's the most common. A second persecutor is self. You. You are your persecutor. In fact, you are the biggest persecutor in your life. Not a leftist agenda. <laughs> not, not, not the alphabet community. All these names that people come up with. You are the biggest persecutor of you. And this is where many believers miss it. Because believers who don't practice self-persecution fall victim to being stuck at the basic principles of the oracles of God. But according to Jesus, you can't follow him unless you are willing to persecute yourself. In the passage, he calls it deny self. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. What in the world are you denying yourself? What does that mean? Take up his cross and follow me. The first persecution we experience will be denying ourselves. Wanting what we now know, God forbid. You are your biggest persecutor. And if you don't see that, you will not make it. You will not make it. You will be perpetually immature or eventually be like, ah, this isn't working. Galatians 5.17. I'm proving everything I say. Y'all know that. I'm proving all of it. Galatians 5.17 says this. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So here God is saying, look, I got my spirit in you. What I say last week? The spirit moved in, but Adam didn't move out, right? I jokingly tell people, man, I got this ex-gangster that still lives in the basement. And he be still knocking on the door like, hey, man, you mind if I get a cup of water? Just want to get out real quick. And I was like, if I open that door, it's a wrap. You're going to do damage that might be irreparable. I still am a street dude, but the Lord is, the spirit is there being like, nah, you got, that's still great. That's just a reality. I'm not boasting. I'm just being honest. There's nothing to boast about in the streets for real. Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to thee the death of the body, you will live. So deny yourselves what? What are you denying yourself? 
In the Stuck Core group yesterday, we talked about this a little bit. We didn't get into detail because we're going, we diving into this deep. But we talked about this a little bit. But an underlying reality of self-persecution, and the reason why it's hard, is because we find pleasure in the sin that we're supposed to deny ourselves from experiencing. We just find pleasure in it. We find pleasure in the sin that we're supposed to say no to. We, I mean, just, we enjoy it. We enjoy the pleasure of sin. We enjoy talking about, talking about people. We enjoy gossip. We call it wanting prayer to how, how to help somebody. We enjoy it. We enjoy sexual sin. Listen, sexual sin doesn't feel good only in marriage. We enjoy the pleasure of sin. And this is actually a significant biblical category. Let me prove it. Luke 8, 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And listen, and their fruit does not mature. I do not just say things for the purpose of saying them. So you will be perpetually immature because Jesus said that. Their fruit does not mature because of the pleasures of this life. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 and 12. Listen to what Paul says here. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Oh. Pleasure is a serious biblical category. Some of y'all still don't believe. Listen, 2 Timothy 3. Listen to this. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Titus 3.3, he says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Reminds me of the hood. This is what we would call the street life. 2 Peter 2, 12 and 13. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, Blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrongs as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions. They count it pleasure. They take pleasure in it. Hebrews 11, 24 and 25, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I am not making this up. Sin is pleasurable. And for some of us, for all of us on some level, 
It's why it's hard to resist it. It's pleasurable. It's pleasurable to be self-righteous, to believe you're better than other people, to believe, oh, I would never do that. I've never struggled with that. It's pleasurable to feel good about yourself. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. What do you deny yourself? The pleasures of sin. The pleasure that comes with it. Whatever that means for you. Not everybody's struggling with sexual sin. But man, it feels good to, to lie and get out of the consequences of telling the truth, doesn't it? Feels, it's okay to do that. Here's what I think scripture means by pleasure of sin. There is an ungodly momentary satisfaction that we get from sin. It's a fleeting pleasure. But it's a pleasure. The pleasure, the pleasure rarely lasts, but that's often the temptation we experience. We want to return back to the benefit, to the pleasure that we got from that sin. That's why it's a temptation for many of us. And the range of this pleasure, this, this satisfaction is everything from an escape from consequences like a lie or to a desire we crave like sexual pleasure. And you know what's wild? The wildest part about this is that God created us this way. Pleasure is a biological component. Just like the blood is unique, so is the craving for pleasure and why it's difficult to resist. Listen to the science of this. Now listen, I'm no neurologist, not a professional, no neurologist. But I did say in the Holiday Inn last night. <laughs> listen to this. Stay with me. And if I'm wrong, Laura's here somewhere. Laura can be like, nope, that's not right. This is. It's called dopamine. It's the brain's motivation molecule. Listen to this. Dopamine is a type of neurotransmitter, which means it's a chemical messenger used by neurons, brain cells, to send signals to other neurons, brain cells. The dopamine action happens primarily in the areas of brain that control reward, pleasure, and motivation. Every time you predict a reward from certain actions, like acing a test or getting a promotion, dopamine levels increase. It's your brain's way of noting, hey, that was great. Let's remember this for the next time. Dopamine is, is not just about pleasure. It's also about anticipation and motivation. It's the difference between just dreaming about that delicious slice of pizza and actually getting off the couch to order it. If you're like me, you need to keep dreaming about it and stop ordering it. Dopamine helps reinforce behaviors, listen to this, that are rewarding by strengthening the neural connections. This is, the part of, this is part of a learning process called reinforcement learning. Your brain learns to increase behaviors that lead to dopamine release, essentially training you to pursue rewarding activities. While often associated with happiness, dopamine is more accurately involved in wanting rather than just liking. It's the desire that gets you to go after goals, not just the enjoyment of achieving them. Dopamine's influence stretches across various aspects of function, 
Not just pleasure, it can affect movement, memory, attention, and even problem solving. When things go haywire, like in the face of addiction, dopamine can create a powerful cycle of reinforcement, pushing a person to seek out the addictive substance or create activity to get that dopamine rush again and again. Besides addiction, imbalances in dopamine can contribute to a host of other issues like schizophrenia, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and Parkinson's disease. In the end, dopamine is crucial for how we experience and interact with the world. It helps us identify rewards and take action to move toward them. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning in pursuit of our goals and makes us feel a sense of accomplishment when we achieve them. Without it, life's pleasures would be muted and our motivation to achieve would dwindle. But like everything, it's all a balance. Too much or too little can significantly impact our well-being. We are biologically created by God to anticipate and pursue pleasure. It's the way our brains work. And when pleasure, when that pleasure is sinful, when it's sinful, we are literally fighting against our own flesh. Literally. My brain remembers the pleasure I got from this particular sin. I'm anticipating it again. And it's what we would call biblically, I believe, temptation. I want this again. When we don't have enough dopamine, this is where depression comes in. They don't have enough excitement in the brain. It's not just people have a bad attitude. There is a biological reality to these things that God created. So when you get pleasure from sin, you and I are literally fighting our own flesh. So when God talks about the world and the flesh, it's not just a, a clever statement. It's a biological reality that we are wired to pursue pleasure. And when sin is pleasurable, we are fighting against our own flesh, literally. This is why sometimes sin is seen irresistible. Because our bodies are craving a dopamine rush. And when we can't get it, where we get offended and angry. Them Snickers commercials where people be all angry and then they give them a Snickers, and that's what they're getting at. You don't got enough dopamine in your brain, man, eat this Snickers. You look like Bette Midler walking around yelling at people and then you bite it and now you look like, you know, George Clooney. I was like, oh, thank you, man, that was what I needed. We get dopamine hits when we give in to sin. But we don't get them when we resist it. We don't. There's no physiological dopamine hit for resisting the pleasure of the flesh. But by faith, we train ourselves in the spirit to find, find pleasure biblically by resisting the pleasures of sin physically. By faith, we renew our minds to embrace a pleasure that we'll receive later for a pleasure our bodies crave now. This is why temptation feels irresistible. This is the battle. It's not just spiritual, it's physiological. The body craves pleasure and sin, as scripture lays out, is pleasurable. We are biologically created 
And this is part of it. So when he says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Sinful pleasure and giving into it is the failure to deny self and the equivalent of trying to save your life instead of lose it. And this is why it's so tough. This is why it's tough. This is why Jesus is our example. Scripture says this in Hebrews 2.18. This is, if you were in Warren's Hebrews group, y'all talked about this in your group. Me and Warren were talking about this last week or the week before last. Just blown away. I've seen this verse a lot of time, but for, for some reason it just hit me a couple weeks ago. Verse Hebrews 2, verse 18. It says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And I just paused for a second and thought, man, Lord, you suffered when tempted. Like, it wasn't just like, you know, because when you read the stories, and because Jesus is God, you just think he's just like, turn these stones to bread. Pew, pew, nope. <laughs> like, it's just nothing. Like, he just was like, yeah. Like, on some pew, pew. You know how you watch, like, them, you know, we, I watched this, uh, this, this Jedi joint called Ahsoka on Disney+. Plus, and these people be having all types of shotguns shot at them, and just with one sword, they be like, pew, 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 bouncing them all off. You can't even touch them no matter what. And sometimes we think Jesus was like that. He was just like, yeah, nah, man. Not today, Satan. <laughs> this verse says he suffered when being tempted. It was real suffering. So that Luke 4, Matthew 4 scene, presumably the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was, his body was sweat turns to blood, it's saying he suffered when being tempted. So Jesus didn't choose to just suffer on the cross. He chose to suffer for us and experiencing temptation like us. If I had more time, I'd really go into this. But this is the other side of temptation. Because we do have God's spirit in us that makes us desire to do his will. That's what Galatians 5.17 says. We do desire to please God and sin will attack that desire to please God often with the desire to gratify the flesh. Especially if it's a sin we've done before. I mean, everybody has a crazy thought. It's just like, man, I don't even know why you. I, I actually had this conversation with the enemy. I'll be driving and I just have a crazy thought. I'm like, man, I don't even know why you put that in my mind because I ain't doing that. I don't even got a temptation to do that. It's like, what in the world is that? I think sometimes they just do stuff and be like, let's see what they do. They put a wild thought in your head and you do it. And they be like, man. Even the devil sometimes be surprised. Like, hey, they did it. I just threw it out there. Hey, that was a good one, bro. They dapping each other up. You in turmoil. But most things, it's like, man, this, what, I don't even got no desire to do that. I don't even know why you put that in my head. That's not, I'm not even worried about that. But then there are times where I've experienced the pleasure of some sin. Coupled with I want to honor God and resisting those things. And so the enemy just says, hey, look. Man, you've been doing good. The church is doing well, bro. Like, you've been faithful to do that. You deserve a break. The sin you resisting, you've already proven that you don't got to do it. Just give in one time, enjoy yourself, keep it moving. It's not that serious. God forgives you. Grace is amazing. It doesn't sound like that, that conversation, but that's just how it plays out. And then we just think, you know what? Yeah, I do deserve a little cheat day. And we get God. 
Temptation is the most common form of suffering or persecution that we will experience. And you and I, we are our biggest persecutors. If you do not believe that, you are going to get punched all over the place by everything that happens. Temptation is not suffering when we give in. You know, in Galatians, I'm going to end with this. In Galatians 6.17, Paul makes a statement that I want to turn into a question for us to consider in the idea of self-persecution. Here's what Paul says in Galatians. In the close of the letter to the, the, the church in Galatia, here's what he says. From now on, let no one trouble cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. William Barclay, in his commentary, he's a good theologian, I like his commentary in this series. He says this about that particular verse. He says, often a master branded his slaves with a mark that showed them to be his. Most probably what Paul means is that the scars of the things he has suffered for Christ are the brands which show him to be Christ's slave. In the end, it is not his apostolic authority that he uses as a basis of appeal. It is the wounds he sustained for Christ's sake. Like Mr. Valiant for Truth in John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Process, Paul says, my marks and scars I carry with me to be my witness to, whom, to him who now will be my rewarder. As I bear in my body the marks of Christ. So I pose this as a question to you. Where are the marks of Christ in your body? Where are the marks of resisting bitterness in your life? Where are the battle scars from wanting to take revenge on somebody because they hurt you, but instead you forgive them and you let it go? Where are the cuts from receiving correction from somebody? You didn't like it, but you took it to the chin because you need to grow. Where are the bruises from wanting to give in to sexual sin, but you know it dishonors the Lord, so you reject it? Where are the marks on your body? Where are the battle scars of Christ in your life from resisting wanting to gossip about people because you've been hurt, from resisting judging people because it's easy to do? Where are the battle scars of Christ on your body? Where are the scars of persecution of self on your body? Where are the marks of Christ on you, believer? Where are they? Can you show them to anyone? Because I can show you mine. But I know you. There's a lot of people that can show you theirs. But if you're a genuine believer and you desire to be godly, you're going to have them. You're going to have them. A lot of the persecution that we experience will come for us from us. And there should be marks on our body that show us, nah, I fail sometimes, but I'm capable of resisting sin. I got marks on my body. I bear the marks on my body. I'm battle tested. My church doesn't see that clear. When this becomes a discernible reality in our lives, 
then we can start getting practical and position the teams that are happening. But if we start looking at, okay, let's stop this, let's stop that, you ain't thought enough yet. You have to remember that, hey, doing this, trying to live godly, persecution's coming, and that's, that's normal. God says, hey, this is the plan, this is, the, this is how it works. Don't let the enemy tell you, like, oh, man, God knows there ain't going to be no consequences for that. This is why I think, you know, this, you know why there'll be no excuse in the end? You know why there'll be no excuse? No one will be able to claim, look, the trauma they went through, all that stuff. You know why there'll be no excuse at the end? Because Jesus is going to say, you do know that I chose, I created all of this. I chose to be a human being and submit myself to it. You do realize that I chose to be, a, I could have come down as a full human being, avoided all of the challenges, but I was born as a baby and learned everything. How to walk, talk, be potty trained. You do know I was a carpenter with no electronic tools. You do know that I suffered because I was tempted to sin just like you were and fought every temptation. You've never been tempted by the devil. In fact, you give in so much, you think it's the devil and it's just you. Do you realize that I did all of that? Resisted sin? Did all this work? Took the punishment from the Father, the full wrath of God. No one to this day has ever experienced the full wrath of God yet except me. I chose to suffer and experience the greatest traumas the world could offer so that you could be forgiven if you believe in me. There will be no excuse because Jesus suffered the most trauma in anyone. He suffered the most betrayal. He suffered the most hurt. There will be no excuse. Persecution comes with godliness because God chose to be persecuted. The world, the external, the most assumed form of persecution, the flesh, the internal, the most common form of persecution, and lastly, the third, which we're not going to talk about because we've been in it and we're in it, is the devil. Supernatural persecution. The most forgotten. Not us because we're in a series on the scheme of the devil. The Bible talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. External, internal, supernatural, most assumed, most common, most forgotten form of persecution. If you desire to live a godly life, and many of the people in this room do, I don't question a lot of the desire to live a godly life in this room. I think there's a lot of people that do, and I'm proud to be in a church among people who love that. There are many people in this room who I think desire to live a godly life. My concern is not that. My concern is that you don't remember that persecution comes with it and that you get easily burned out, confused, dismayed, or you just withdraw in self-protection. Jesus was the only one who chose his suffering. We don't get to choose our suffering. We just choose to suffer. And denying ourselves is a major part of it. And if you're unwilling to do that, then a lot of other things just make sense to you. In our church, part of what we want people to do to deny themselves is simple. Come to church on Sunday. Serve in the church. Love one another. Increase in the knowledge of God. Connect with our community. Serve, give. Be grown and on. We want you to go to a one, one midweek meeting and fellowship with other people. We don't ask a lot. God asks for much more. 
These are things to help us grow in godliness. These aren't just structures to just do something. They're very specific. You know, metamorphosis got started by Mike because he's had a desire to serve in the community. But we also felt like if we don't, our church wasn't in a place where that was a strong suit. And I would say we're still in process. So Mike started it on his own, took it upon himself. It used to be called SALT back in the day. First nonprofit, wanting to serve the community. Then it turned into metamorphosis. But it didn't start there. You know what it started with? Homework club. In two neighborhoods, Auburn Manor. Started over there, middle school. Then eventually parked it. Then it was getting accepted in the community and people knowing it was that. It was learning, willing to be persecuted. Mike ain't afraid of nothing. He'll tell you, I'm Pastor Mike. I mean, I ain't going to tell you I'm a pastor. I ain't saying nothing. We'll figure it out when we talk. Mike put himself on the front line. Pastor Mike, say something. <laughs> Serving everywhere, going here, going there. Tragedies up at Parkdale. Police everywhere. He walks up. Hey, let him through. That's Pastor Mike. He can come in. All these other people can't come into the school. Parents can't even get in. They let Mike in. Joining the community, reaching out. Serving people and whatever that comes with. We did all of that because our church wasn't ready to grow in that. But it's a value. Our values are not Solid Rock's values. We, we get them all from the scriptures. They're God's values. I'm not saying this to manipulate anybody into anything. I'm saying it because I think it's stuff that the Lord wants us to focus on. I mean, everybody who knows me knows I'm going to do at least that. Don't avoid persecution. Accept it. It's a pathway to being like Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we've looked at a lot of things today. We saw the reality, the strategy of renewing our minds. We didn't even hit the word thoughts. All the verses say, take your thoughts captive and thought. We didn't even hit it, but it's the same. We started with reminding ourselves of the strategy that we have to be thinking. We have to be sober-minded. We can't just jump into cutting things off and stopping this, but in a way that's sober-minded. And part of that being sober-minded is recognizing that opposition will come to us trying to be godly. So we can't just make a plan to cut something off. You can't see your Netflix and then be bored that, that same night. Lord, help us to be sober-minded and think through what are the things that we need to do? What aspects of godliness are we after? And then to be sober-minded about how to go about those things. Those will be in the upcoming, the subsequent sermons to this. But Lord, help us to to believe this until we leave here. That persecution comes with godliness. Like Peter said, nothing strange is happening to us. This is what it means to honor you. There's opposition. There's persecution. But the majority of it will be ourselves. The way you created us and the pleasure centers in the brain the dopamine, all the different amino acids and all the things that you've put in our brain cells, neurons, and all these things that 
light up when we experience pleasure. They become the means to resist the pleasure when it's sinful. So increase our love for you. Let us remember that it's okay. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to suffer to be godly. Godliness comes with persecution because you, God, chose to be persecuted. May we never forget that for your glory and our good. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we do have right now just a couple questions. And uh, the first one is, how do you think believers should respond to persecution in the context of spreading their faith? How do I think they should respond? I, I mean, ideally, ideally, I don't know what persecution it is. I, for many of us, it's not going to be, you know, anything physical. It's not going to be that. It might just 